0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The eighth annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the fifth annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make, but what sets them apart is how serious David is about high quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Wervo remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I am so happy to have Dr. Quan Stewart back. He's the extraordinary vet who you might have heard my conversation with A couple of weeks ago, he is ProjectStreetVet.org, and he ministers to the pets of the unhomed people in Los Angeles and inspires veterinarians across the country to, I hope, follow in his footsteps. But Quan, one of the things that you mentioned when we had met at VMX sort of in leaving was that you had been recently invited to be a member of the California Veterinary Medical Association Diversity and Inclusion Committee, and I myself... I'm just in the process of learning that the topic of, of diversity and inclusion or the lack of inclusion and the lack of diversity in the veterinary field is very much something that needs to be looked at, addressed, and theoretically corrected. So you're obviously a, a pretty uh, – they, they get a twofer with you. They get two for one. You're not white and you're male, and women now dominate the veterinary field. So when you were asked to be part of that committee, was it kind of a surprise to you that this was now a topic of a committee of the Veterinary Association, or did you know that this was coming down the pike as a topic?
1: I did, and I've known it for a little while now, and, and even before it was mentioned to me or started being talked about in circles, it, you know, if you've been doing this long enough, and I'm 25 years in, you just look around and see that it. You know, it hasn't it hasn't really progressed a whole lot. Now, on the, the male-female side, it has, and I'm glad it has. I think for the longest time, uh, women were unfairly excluded, or it was difficult for them to break in, to be accepted into veterinary school. It was largely male, you know, up through, I would say, the 70s and 80s, and it didn't really start to change until the 90s. My class, in fact, Colorado State, the graduating class of 97, was, as I was told at the time, uh, had the the most female-to-male uh, ratio or more females right. than males for the first time in any class before. And so my class of 123 was, as I recall, around 80 women, and the remaining, what, 50 were men, which is a huge switch. I mean, that is a huge flip. So you started to see the seed change then, which was great. But what you haven't seen is... An invitation to more people of color Mm -hmm. uh, with different backgrounds. And, you know, when I was in school and and when I was young, I I just never saw a vet that looked like me. I never saw another black veterinarian. And I don't know if that's really changed or improved much in the 25 years I've been doing this. So I, I knew about it for some time.
0: So is Colorado a very white state?
1: Yes, at least it was back then when I was there, and I don't think it's changed much. You know, I, I think the census for 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 blacks in America is somewhere around twelve or thirteen percent, and and you know when you when you consider that there is a pretty population dense southern part between right. Louisiana and Mississippi and, and so forth, then yeah, it is it gets pretty white everywhere else.
0: I see what you mean. So in the South, which which could be Dominantly or predominantly black states like mine in Vermont are white. They're completely white. It dis- it depresses me. It disturbs me. People who live in an all white state can't even understand what the phrase Black Lives Matter means. They have no idea what you're talking about. They've never seen a black life. So, I mean, that's a problem. What about the the so how, you know how do you make America more homogeneous or how do you make the upper echelons of those giving care and getting higher education, and being uh, figures of authority or knowledge. It's tricky if the society around them doesn't have more diversity. So, I mean, what do you do about that? You went to Colorado State because it's where you were from. Did you consider a historically, I guess, Tuskegee, it might be the only historically black uh, veterinary school. There might be another. But did you consider that? Did you identify yourself as as a black man who was on kind of on the outskirts or on the outside?
1: No, I didn't. and And part of that may be is while well, I consider myself black, and I, I'm sure someone looks at me or America just as far as the census goes, I'm black. i am I'm half white. My mother is white. My father is black. okay uh, so, you know, I, I was. I'm as much white as I am black. Although again, when I get out in the world, um, I'm seen as as a black man. Obama's half white. Isn't that right, I, I was thinking him?
0: of that. Or, I was or, thinking or of half that. Half
1: white. Yeah. Or, no, he's he's viewed as a black man. He's the first black president. He's tagged with that everywhere he goes. Even though again, he's just as much white as he is black. So uh, being around, growing up around white family and white support system and friends and. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really feel it. I didn't really feel it until I did. I started getting outside into a bigger world. And my first experience, my first run-in with it, which was just it was a slap in the face, was a moment I had when I was in high school. And I was an athlete. I was a good athlete. I went to undergrad on, a, on an athletic scholarship. And I was at a, a track event, and I just finished my race. I was coming off the field, and a coach approached me. And he said, you have a lot of talent. You're, you're really good. Uh, what's, you know, what's, what's your next phase? What do you plan on doing after high school? I hope you're going to move on and, and pursue this. And I said, yeah, I, I do. But, but you know, when I grow up, I want to be a veterinarian. And he, he laughed. He chuckled. Wow. I, I don't think he meant to, but it, it kind of slipped out. He, he kind of did that and said, well, wow. I, I've, never met, I've never met a black veterinarian before. And I shot back, and I said, "Well, I guess you'll be—I'll be the first.
0: Oh, and come on! That gives me goosebumps.
1: But here, here's the unfortunate part about this story. Right now, you're picturing a white man saying this to me. It wasn't. It was a black coach.
0: <gasps> oh my god!
1: And as I reflect back on that moment, I've thought about that moment many times. I—I I almost feel sorry for him, and I wonder, was he held back? Was he, when he was growing up, did he have people telling him that he could only be an athlete or he could only be a coach or he could only be certain things and maybe he wanted to be something else and it was his own limitations that that sort of forced him to think like that and make that comment? I don't know. I really wish I could go back in time and and ask that or find that that man today and have a conversation, but I've thought about that a lot and, and, and it just speaks again to I think the bigger issue that we put people in boxes mm-hmm. and he, he had put me in one for whatever reason. And that was, I, I think of anything that motivated me more. Like I said, I told him, I, I'm going to be the first one, you know, and I was, you know, through my time in veterinary school, all the classes before me and above me, I only knew one other black student. So we're talking hundreds and hundreds yes. of veterinary students in classes below and above me as I traveled through. And yeah, there was only one other. So there, yeah, but as I got out here and started working again, I never I don't really see color when I look outside of my own lens, you know, through my own eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know always know what people see when they look at me. But I do know this. I, I think if there were more people that look like you as a as a driving force or something that could can, can connect you or someone so a little kid, a little black kid can look at me and say, see, I, so, okay, cool. Absolutely. I want to, I want to be like you. Yep. There is something to that, right? Definitely. Whether it's Hispanic or Asian, um, maybe certain religious backgrounds, there is something to identifying someone you're looking up to and seeing that in yourself. And, and so I, I would like to expand that. And, and here's the thing, here's the, 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 most important thing about this conversation is this, we have, we're in trouble when it comes to providing veterinary care to pets. The reason is we're kicking out fewer veterinary students than we have and than we should, and we're seeing an explosion in pet ownership. Correct. And we are are not making it, and the trajectory is only going to get worse. If we don't get more veterinarians in the system and we don't figure out better ways to provide care and have access to veterinary care, there are going to be a lot of animals out there who just never get a chance to see the vet, even though they have uh, a parent who has the money and resources to do it. We need more people in the profession. And I don't, I don't want to scare people off. I want to kick the door open so that if you believe or it's something you're passionate about doing, we create a pathway for you to get in. Yes. And, and we need to do that now because, as I said, in 10 years, we're, we're really going to be in trouble. And, and if, if there's any way that my, my voice, my face, my likeness, my experience, who I am, my brand can lend to that, I will. That's,
0: that's really important. You were a very successful teenage athlete. And it, it isn't really just only your color. It's our culture that celebrates athletes, right? It celebrates athletes as stars. So that would be a great way to get to stardom, if you will, or to, to recognition. But if teenagers, male or female, but particularly of a minority, even if in some places they aren't the minority, I suppose there's places in the South where blacks are not the minority or places in other parts of America where Hispanics are not the minority, but if they could be, if, if there was a way to guidance counsel them to see there is a possibility, but you better start taking some biology classes now.
1: Right. Right. There needs to be some, some, some a little push behind this. Because here's the thing. How many kids have you heard or can I think of in my lifetime that have said, I, I've, I've done many presentations to school kids, for example, kindergartners, first grade, my own kids. Class and present to them and, and their friends. When I ask how many people want to be a veterinarian, I, I, I always feel like, I don't know, 60, 70% of the hands go Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Right. Kids, that's one of those professions you dream of when you're young. Absolutely. It's like, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a veterinarian. I want to be an astronaut. Yep. And I don't want kids to lose that. If that's something they really want to do, then. And, and they they love animals and they have an aptitude for science and, and then it, it's really on us. It's on the parents. It's on the yes. education system to to help them right to foster that through instead of losing losing that edge and and losing that that motivation. So so yeah, we need to do better at that, especially as I say, if we want to if we want to be able to provide care to all these people who own pets.
0: Well, one of the things that I had heard for years, and it may not be the truth, is that there were. X number of veterinary schools, it was kind of a fixed number. I forget quant if the number was 26, some number. And now a few more get added on. And there's a few offshore you can go to, like human medical doctors can go offshore to St. Martin or somewhere to get a medical degree if they can't get into medical school here. But that it was purposely a controlled, a, a, a closed system. We don't want too many vets out there. We don't want the competition. This goes back decades. So that is as i understand it ingrained into the profession if you get into vet school and if you graduate from vet school you are going to be this part of this privileged few the problem is that all these vets are having burnout because they're overworked and they don't have enough support system and there aren't enough new vets coming along who with the crushing student debt can make enough as a a, a starting out vet to feel that it's it's going to be a profession that will carry them through their through their adulthood. So, I mean, is it not true that the vet schools have to expand how many people they will take or that even some more veterinary colleges need to open? Is that not part of the problem, not just the minority issue?
1: That's a part of the problem. Yeah, it, it's multifactorial, and that is one. We either need to get more veterinary schools up and running. We need to accept more students into each class in the I think, 33 veterinary schools, colleges we now have in America. Uh, And if we don't, yeah, we're going to keep running into this problem. And the other thing is, going back to, to women in the profession, which was a breakthrough, the ceiling had finally been broken, and it's a good thing. But on the other side of it is, and this is just a function of our society, is and a good thing is, is, what do women do? They're the ones who are, who are actually keeping our population alive, right? They're, <laughs> they're having babies, they're staying at home, and they're being mothers. And so when you saw a flip in the number of men versus women in the profession, well, naturally, uh, women, it, they, they take care of our young, they're, they're delivering, and they're doing these things, and so they're exiting from the profession, either for short periods, or in some cases, long periods, or in some cases, never returning. Oh, and, and, you see. know, in some households, they, they, are, they may not be the breadwinner necessarily or it's a second income. And so if it's not keeping the house afloat and they want to turn their attention to caring for their children, then you just see them leave the profession. And that's happened to a number of my classmates already. I, I'll probably keep turning this out as long as I can go. But that is also a factor, right? So as you yes. think about all these things are affecting I and mean, keep affecting the numbers and, and the hours of care, right, if you just boil it down to how many hours, based on veterinarians, can, can they provide to the number of pets? That number is shrinking. Uh, so it's going to take a number of things. The other thing is we're looking at is allowing our nurses, our registered veterinary techs, to have more power, more authority. That would to be, be able great. To do more. To do things like diagnose, to to do some basic treatments, but expand their scope of of care so that it takes the load off veterinarians. And then the last thing is just addressing the mental health piece. We talked about this, and we can talk about this all day. But I think we have the highest suicide rate amongst all white collar professionals. And it's sad, and there's a lot of burnout and a lot of reasons it's happening. And if we're not finding a way to care for ourselves mentally and emotionally, that's another reason why people exit and quit. And just it, burnout is, is very real. Compassion fatigue, something, a word, a term, I didn't even know until I started doing the work. Right. It's very real, and, and we have to find a way to address that, too.
0: It, it is. There are multiple problems, but I think just to sort of wrap up, on the topic of diversity and inclusion, that if anybody has a young person in their life, whether it's their neighbor or their niece or their own kid or their, someone in the Sunday school or someone in regular school, particularly kids that are from a diverse background, try to open the conversation. Try to encourage them to understand that there are people like them doing this really fabulous work. And they, too, can be fabulous, I think, it, I think it's great, Quan, that they've got you on this committee. I think it's wonderful that you are a mentor and you are a billboard for what, how the world can look different and do good. So thank you for giving even more of your time to the Diversity Inclusion Committee and helping form the ideas that will break things open for more people and get more care for more pets.
1: I appreciate that. And that was well said. And, and, and hopefully there's some, some good things that come out of it. Uh, we had our first uh, meeting not long ago. It was exciting. And it was a very, very diverse group um, from, you know, color and religion to sexual orientation. And it, it, it was cool. That's uh, great. Just to see so many different people on this panel. And, and hopefully, yeah, we can, we can generate some ideas. we will keep things going. That's terrific.
0: Thank you. thank you so much for all the good you're doing for the animals and for the people. Thank you. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission, to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Blue Weimaraner Maisie will eat.